Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And please remember, all of our shows can be listened to at respectliferadio.com. Just click on the podcast. Our special guest today is Greg Baylor. He serves as Senior Counsel with Alliance for Defending Freedom, where he is the Director of the Center for Religious Schools. We'll be talking today about the Equality Act the dangers of this act, what we should be doing, and how do we let other people know this ideology that's sweeping our country that people want to put into law. So, Greg, can you tell us a little bit about the Alliance for Defending Freedom? Yeah, Alliance Defending Freedom is uh, an alliance-building legal ministry whose mission is to keep the doors open for the spread of the gospel. And we do that through a variety of means. Uh, We train college students and law students. Uh, We have an alliance of over 3,000 attorneys who uh, volunteer their time to work on cases that matter for keeping the door open for the gospel. Uh, We have, uh, obviously, we do advocacy. We do advocacy in state legislatures and in Congress and in administrative agencies. Uh, And we also do litigation. We represent clients in uh, precedent-setting Uh, litigation that should, we hope, have a positive impact on how the courts look at some of these issues that we're involved in. Um, ADF was founded back in 1994 by a group of prominent ministry leaders who recognized the need for there to be uh, more resources devoted to the battle for religious freedom and the sanctity of life and the family. Those are the three issues on which we focus. And uh, in the last six, eight years, we added an international component And Alliance Defending Freedom has offices uh, spread all across the world, and we're trying to protect religious freedom and sanctity of life overseas as well. And I was looking on your webpage, and it shows that you guys win about 80% of your cases, which is is good news because there are a lot of attacks out there. Yeah, God has been very good. And, you know, our our, uh, theme verse essentially for Alliance Defending Freedom is John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. And uh, that rate of victory... Obviously, there's a lot of talented, hardworking people who work at Alliance Defending Freedom or who partner with us or who are allies, but uh, we're very grateful to God, uh, not only for the growth of our ministry and for the generosity of our ministry friends, but also for the successes uh, that God has achieved through our work. Well, speaking of John 15, without me, you can do nothing. It sounds like, you know, with this Equality Act, Inequality Act that that's passed the House, um that they want to suck God out of the equation. I mean, we see that across the board in little pockets, but this is kind of a broad-sweeping act that just would trash religious freedom, wouldn't it? Yeah, it really would. It's it's somewhat unprecedented. I would say it is unprecedented, other than the two other times the, the folks in the Congress tried to push something like through. This is as far as it's gotten um, passing the House. But, no, I would say the, the, the Equality Act is certainly a, a broadside frontal assault on uh, really religious freedom and specifically uh, those who hold what are becoming the so-called wrong views about controversial issues like the morality of homosexual behavior, about the definition of marriage, about the distinction between the sexes. Um, it would impose a sexual orientation or, and gender identity. We commonly call that SOGI, S-O-G-I, sexual orientation, gender identity. It would impose a SOGI non-discrimination obligation in a whole host of settings. We're talking about businesses, places of public accommodation, 
uh, in their relationships with customers. We're talking about employers. We're talking about landlords. We're talking about uh, public schools, private schools. We're talking about every recipient of federal financial assistance, which includes almost every institution of higher education in the country, includes all of our public schools, and includes many religious social service agencies that provide life-saving work with the assistance of, of federal resources. We can talk more about what that means, but I, you are absolutely correct that this is uh, an enormously comprehensive attack, not only on a particular our views of marriage and morality and the distinction between the sexes, but also on religious freedom itself. Well, and the bottom line is, you know, with other bills, you know, we we saw exemptions, but this one, there are no exemptions. They're they're going for the home run. That is a great point. You know, for for the longest time, the main project in Congress for LGBT advocacy organizations and many uh, Democrats was to enact something called the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. That's been proposed. Actually, the first proposal like that was in the 70s, but it really got going in the early to mid-1990s when ENDA, as it's called, Employment Non-Discrimination Act, was introduced in virtually every Congress except one going up until about 2014. And you are right. Um, well, first of all, the scope of the bill was limited. It was only it was only about the employment context. You know, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is the federal law that forbids certain kinds of discrimination in employment, race, national origin, religion, sex, and so forth. And the proposal was to add sexual orientation and then later on sexual orientation and gender identity. And you're exactly right. There was always uh, in there a religious exemption. Now, sometimes it's buried in scope. It got a little broader. It got a little narrower. But I, I think two things. I, I think two things were going on. I think uh, uh, first there was uh, kind of an acknowledgement that it's not appropriate for the government to religious to regulate the employment practices of religious organizations in this manner. And second, a, a more pragmatic calculation, like, well, you know, this bill's not going to pass unless we have a religious exemption. That was the thought process of the, I think, of the folks behind it. Well, that's no longer the case. Um, I think, uh, you know, they clearly think it's appropriate for the federal government to interfere, not just in employment practices, uh, but also in a whole host of other contexts. But also, they think we don't need to, uh, we don't, we shouldn't, and we don't need to exempt religious organizations, even churches. And to make matters worse, and maybe you were intending to get to, this, not only do they not provide an exemption for nonprofit religious organizations, uh, the bill would strip all people and individuals of faith of their ability to just invoke as a defense our primary protection of, of religious freedom from, from the federal government in the United States, which is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993. So dramatic imposition on religious exercise, no religious exemptions, and then taking away our primary sort of quasi-constitutional defense of our religious freedom and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Yes, this is, this is unprecedented. Yeah, and, you know, you know, the chances of it passing all the way through are slim, but that it passed the House, you know, you get a different makeup of the Congress and the Senate and a different president, we could be in deep trouble. Yeah, I mean, that's the real concern, of course. Um, you know, there's everyone expects this not to go anywhere in the Senate. Um, the Senate is not obliged even to consider a bill simply because the House has passed it. There's a version in the Senate that was introduced separately, of course, and is identical virtually to the version that passed the House. But, you know, the Senate is under no 
obligation. Um, when it was introduced in the Senate, it was referred to the Senate Judiciary Committee, and the chairman there, Lindsey Graham, uh, has no obligation to hold a hearing or a vote or mark up the bill or send it to the floor or anything like that. And we, you know, we have no reason to believe that he will will do anything on on the bill. But uh, so, you know, we, we think it's pretty fair to say it's not going to pass this Congress. But I think you're you're right to be alarmed that it passed the House, and it passed the House with every Democrat voting for it. No one even hesitated, uh, despite the assault on religious freedom. And then there were eight Republicans who joined uh, the Democrats in voting for this and you know the that that fact is disturbing uh that this bill that's so uh, invasive of religious freedom would get that far and yeah we have to be you know this state of affairs in the congress is not going to last forever it will last to 2021 when the new congress is seated and uh you know the senate you really have to get 60 votes to pass anything the legislative filibuster is still in effect but uh, you can imagine a scenario where you have a majority of democrats and a handful of republicans come over and you have a president who's willing to sign the bill. So that's why we need to be vigilant. We can't just get complacent because it's not going to pass this Congress. Well, and, you know, the assaults have been, you know, more pocket fighting here and there. This is this is all out war. And it is war on our children. It's war on women. And nobody seems to be talking about that. I mean, this, this would push gender ideology, which is really a delusion, uh, on our children, and that'd be part of their curriculum, because as you mentioned before, if they're taking federal funds, that's K through 12 and probably most colleges. Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's what we've tried to focus on uh, in our advocacy against the bill. Um, the sad fact of the matter is that there are a decreasing number of people who care about religious liberty as religious liberty, and we've thus focused on the, the victims of the Equality Act uh, if it were to become law. And we're not just inventing stuff or speculating about you know what kind of impacts the Equality Act will have. We we know what laws like this do from experiences in localities and states and even uh, internationally that have adopted such laws. And the people who suffer the most are women and children. Um, the, because the bill adds a gender identity non-discrimination obligation to federal financial assistance, as we've both noted, that means that every public school in America is subject to a gender identity non-discrimination rule. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means, it means that uh, students who identify as the opposite sex will have to be given access to the private spaces intended for the opposite sex for reasons of privacy and safety. That means a, a boy who identifies as a girl can go in the, in the girl's restroom, he can go in the girl's locker room, he can go in the girl's showers. It also means that boys who identify as girls and men who identify as women at the collegiate level, they can play on the sports team of the opposite sex rather than uh, of, their, uh, of their own uh, biological sex. And people suffer as a consequence of that. We represent uh, a woman named Pasha Thomas and her daughter, her five-year-old daughter, who was assaulted in her bathroom at the public school because the public school in Decatur, Georgia, had adopted a policy that you know would become mandatory under the Equality Act. Uh, we represent a young woman named Alexis Lightcap in Boyertown, Pennsylvania, who went into the ladies' room and found a boy in there and was so traumatized by that event. Uh, we represent a women's shelter uh, for abused and abused women in. Anchorage, Alaska, and under a local ordinance that's like the Equality Act, 
uh, they're being sued by a man who identifies as a woman who was denied access to sleeping facilities where he would be in a cot three feet away from other from women, uh, many of whom were the victims of domestic violence and other forms of abuse. So, uh, it, yeah, it, it really, you know, it sounds nice on the surface. Everyone's for equality. Everyone's against discrimination. But when you drill down to what this bill actually does, it will have enormous negative consequences, mostly for women and children. Well, and it really takes away the equality of women and children. It basically mandates that, you know, we send our kids to a public school. If we have a daughter, then she has no rights. Really, it's somebody who's living under a delusion that they are somebody who they really aren't, and we're going to placate to that. Yeah, it really it's really interesting how they're kind of balancing the competing interests. Um, you know, there have been circumstances in the past where, there would be a, a a student who would identify as the opposite gender, and the school, um, you know, tried hard to accommodate this student. There was one in in California in the Arcadia School District where uh, the student was allowed to use a, a a private restroom, like in the teachers' lounge or something like that. And the, the Obama Justice Department actually went after that school district because they said that wasn't enough. You can't just accommodate them like that. You need to treat them as if they were the sex that they believe there are for all purposes. And so even these sort of reasonable accommodations, I mean, people can differ about this, but reasonable accommodations that try to balance the competing interests are totally rejected in favor of a rigid ideology that says you must, you must buy into, you know, the unfortunate beliefs of someone who's confused about their gender, and that has adverse consequences on third parties. Well, and even uh, medical professionals, right? They would have to probably, if if asked, have to do give out puberty block, blocking drugs, cross sex hormones, do uh, double mastectomies on teenage girls. That you know, that's exactly right. Um, the the way that the bill operates, it'll it'll accomplish that through two two ways. It amends Title II of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which is about discrimination in places of public accommodation. The bill dramatically expands the definition of what counts as a place of public accommodation, and it almost certainly covers health care providers. So you're if, a pediat- if you're a pediatric endocrinologist who has a patient that has what they call precocious puberty, which is a child that's experiencing puberty much earlier than, uh, than is normal, there are drugs that have been created to deal with that to kind of de- delay uh, uh, puberty until the appropriate time and prevent... Not wipe it out. But- <laughs> yeah, not wipe it out, just a little. So, but if you pre- if you're willing to prescribe for that purpose, then you must prescribe it for a child who is confused about their gender. If you do mastectomies for cancer patients, you will be required to do so for uh, for women and girls who identify as the opposite sex. And if you don't do that, you're violating the law. The other way that this rule will come at medical professionals is through the string on federal financial assistance. A lot of the health care in this country is supported at least in part by federal dollars. And if you're a health care provider in a circumstance where money, federal money is in the equation, you're going to face these same consequences. And, you know, also the folks on the other side of the issue think that if you're a counselor, like a mental health counselor or a psychologist, and you're a uh, trying to help someone resolve the conflict between their biological sex and their their kind of self-understanding, that that itself is an act of discrimination, that the only choice you have, whether you have medical or moral objections or both, the only choice that you have is to go along and affirm 
someone's uh, cross-sex identification. And the sad tragedy is that it doesn't, in the, at the end of the day, it often doesn't help people resolve the, the anxiety they're suffering. Is well, no. So we have truth on our side. We have logic on our side. We have science on our side. No, by the way, we have faith on our side. But we're going to throw all those out for an ideology that is not backed by science or any of those things I spoke about. And we're going to force that upon you. That's what people need to know what a lot of people in government want to force on us. You know, that's right, and I think uh, I think one of the strategies that the supporters of the Equality Act have embraced is to to actually ram it through the House pretty quick, so that these conversations can't happen. You know, the polling data suggests like uh, if people are against discrimination, they're in favor of equality, but the Heritage Foundation did a poll that sort of asked real questions about what do you think about this this thing that the Equality Act does? What do you think about children being? You know, taking puberty blockers and medical professionals being yeah, being chemically castrated. Required. Yeah, yeah, chemically castrated, or even you know, eventually surgically right. castrated. And and you know, the polling data show like sixty-five, seventy percent of Americans are against that. And that's so that's our job, actually, is to just tell people what the Equality Act would really do, so that they could work against it. Well, and I appreciate all the work that you guys do in informing people because you live by the media and they don't tell the whole story and then we're living in this world of false compassion where yeah. let's lie to somebody so that they make them feel better and then we realize you know years after surgery their suicide rate is still 20 times higher than the normal population yeah that's exactly right i think you know i think our perspective on this bill is the most compassionate towards people who are suffering from gender dysphoria for the reason you identified about suicide rates of adults who have gone through the full transition, but also with respect to children. I mean, the data show that somewhere between 80 and 95 percent of, of young children who are kind of conspiring gender confusion, if you just let it be, I mean, you know, take care of them, monitor them, watch them, mm -hmm. but if you just let them go through puberty, 80 to 95 percent of them, it resolves. They, they so-called desist. And it, but once you sort of get them on this pathway where they're five years old and they're social transitioning and then they're on puberty blockers, then they're on cross-sex hormones, then they're getting sex reassignments, they're locked into that. So, and that doesn't, meet, that doesn't end up in, in most circumstances in a happy life. So we're the ones on the side of compassion for people who are suffering from gender dysphoria, not the supporters of this bill. Yeah, you're, I mean, how many, how many parenting guides say, hey, lie to your child let them let them believe whatever they want to believe and things will work out. I mean, it doesn't even make logical or rational sense that we would chemically castrate our children, put them in danger when going to school. Let's let's wipe out women's sports. Let's tie the hands of every medical professional who tries to help kids whether you're through counseling or medically. And this is good. This is this is what we need to be, you know, a, a society on the edge. It's almost, it's so, I mean, you're, you're accurately stating it, and it's hard to explain given those facts. I mean, I think it's just ideology has kind of put everything is on top, and it's put all of these other things subordinate, you know, science and, and good data and common sense. It's really, it's, it's disturbing, frankly. Well, this is the emperor's new clothes, right? And, and, yeah. and for some reason, we're living a, a kid's parable, and... Uh, we're, we're making it law and inflicting upon people. It, it doesn't make sense. One of the questions I did want to ask is, you know, we've seen it with the abortion issue with state after state, either going to an extreme abortions at all at any time, whenever, or none, which 
obviously be preferable. But if we are seeing an Equality Act at the federal level, will we see something this strong at the state level? I mean, I know that's a concern in Colorado because we're not exactly the most conservative state. Yeah. Well, yes, it is absolutely right to be concerned that things like the Equality Act will be uh, proposed and adopted in states and localities. Um, It's true right now that there are little under half of the states have some law that that prohibits discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. The ironic thing is that the, the bluest of the blue states adopted their their SOGI laws kind of early in the game, and back then it was necessary to have a religious exemption in order to get it passed. So you have states like Connecticut that have a pretty generous religious exemption in their SOGI, um, and states that have uh, adopted them you know, more recently tend to have narrower exemptions. The interesting thing is that no state has been able to adopt a new sexual orientation, gender identity, and non-discrimination law since Utah did so in 2015 under a very unique set of circumstances. That's kind so of the Utah kind of compromise. Is that what that yeah, one was? Utah, yeah, 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 the very unfortunate Utah compromise. But, um, you know, states haven't been able to do it. But localities tend to be more homogenous kind of politically in many cases, and they've been able to do this. A lot of the state laws don't attach a sexual orientation, non-discrimination string on state money, which is very important in preventing some of these horror stories that will come to pass if the Equality Act becomes law. But you're right. I think the takeaway is we have to be vigilant not only at the federal level, but at the state and local level as well. So, you know, somebody's listening to today and they think, well, yeah, this is this is bad, but what what should they do? What you know, obviously elections have consequences. But these are this should be the type of thing that when we're questioning who we're gonna vote for, this should be a litmus test. I absolutely agree. I mean everyone makes up their own mind about what what will cause them to vote one way or the other, but if you care about these issues it's certainly worth knowing the candidate's position on this issue. Um, if if your representative in the House is a Democrat, I think you can you can assume that they voted for it because every Democrat who voted voted for it. Um, if your representative or candidate is a Republican, are they one of those eight uh, in the Senate? I think every Senate candidate needs to be asked because they haven't gone on the record yet, and they they need to know from their constituents that voting for the Equality Act is unacceptable. So, yeah, I think that's we, we have to do this. We have to do this. Otherwise, if there's a lack of resistance and all the pressure is coming from one side, the wobbly folks in the middle are going to succumb to the pressure. So we need to make our voices heard. Well, and, and pressure is kind of their modus operandi, right? I mean, they, they like to pressure people. And that's why, you know, I mentioned we have all those things on our side, but it's through the bullying. I did an interview uh, with an Olympian, a uh, female Olympian, who talked about you know, basically wiping out women's sports and how if somebody stands up, they get bullied and then they back down. I mean, Martina Navratilova is a perfect example. That's just what happens if we don't have, you know, that faith component, that that wisdom and courage that we need to say the truth all the time. Right. And there is a lot of pressure on the other side. I mean, you know, this is not just the 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 the, the most potent gay rights organizations that are pushing this. They've managed to recruit, you know, all the elite business community 
the, the United States Chamber of Commerce, uh, for Pete's sake, <laughs> endorsed the the Equality Act. When I heard that, I couldn't it, believe it, makes, it. I'm like, what? It makes no sense. I mean, their 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 members are employers who are going to face additional liability, but they succumbed to the pressure, and that matters. I mean, a lot of congressmen care about what the Chamber of Commerce thinks. The Chamber of Commerce is a, a source of campaign contributions, and for some representative who doesn't care that much about the substance of the issue and just wants to get reelected and have the money to run their campaign, that, that could matter to them. Well, and, and, and they'll vote depending on which, which way the money flows, because unfortunately, uh, you know, moral, a moral backbone is not something we see in, in our elected officials. And I mean, you, you battle that on a regular basis, I'm sure. Yeah, we do have some champions, though, who are, you know, right. who are who are willing to stand up and take the heat, and we're grateful for them. We just need we just need more of them, and we need to we need to work on the folks who maybe are unsure about this issue. Well, and you know what's really put you know we've had the LBGTQ you know whatever, but it's really the T part of it that's really pushed this over the edge, right? I think that's right. Um, I think it's made it, and frankly, it's made it harder for uh, for the folks in Congress to get this passed because the consequences of the gender identity stuff are much more alarming and America, the American people, at least if they know about it, are much uh, more skeptical uh, of this. So in a sense, uh, the, the extremism of the folks who support this bill, it's, they're kind of doing us a favor uh, by pressing without uh, without any sort of compromise. I mentioned before the circumstance where you know the school tried to accommodate the transgender person by allowing them to use a single-use restroom or the TJ. That sort of compromise and accommodation is so utterly unacceptable to supporters of things like the Equality Act that it sort of demonstrates their, their level of kind of extremity or extremeness on this issue. And uh, in, in a way, it makes their project a little bit less viable politically. Well, and it's hard to it's hard to uh, you know show equality when there are no exemptions, right? It's my way or the highway. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we should not be deceived uh, uh, about the intentions of the folks on the other side of this issue. They know exactly what they're doing. They know that you know the really the least uh, uh, intellectually the last remaining opposition. To a, a lot of the agenda of the of the Equality Act is from the religious community, uh, the conservative, theologically conservative, morally conservative religious community, and that's in a sense what this bill targets. I mean, they're going, they're explicitly saying that no religious organization can have an exemption. They're taking away your rights under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And folks need to know that and they need to act accordingly. So, I would encourage your listeners to check out a resource that uh, that we and some of our coalition partners have created. It's called allforfreedom.com contains a lot of great resources about the Equality Act and about other proposals to add SOGI to to non-discrimination laws. And I would encourage your listeners to check out allforfreedom.com.